Hey, hey, welcome into Unbossed. It is Adrian Lawrence, and I'm filling in for the incredible <laughs> Nina Turner. And I'm excited today because we've got so many incredible things for you today. But please do not forget to subscribe, share the stream, send some love in the comments. You know I love to read them. And I cannot wait to share with you what we have on today's show because, you know, in the real, we've got deets on this war on birthing bodies, the war on gun reform, and the war against Father Time. That's right. And here to help me with those wars is Mr. Conscious Lee, professor, mm. content creator. This man is battle tested. I know you know him well. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Looking forward to getting into some business. Absolutely, this is exciting and our first time on together. So I cannot wait to see what we get into. But first, let's go ahead and talk about what is being talked about right now and leading these headlines in terms of abortion. This is a big development that brings this whole controversy right to the steps of the Supreme Court with the clock ticking. If the court doesn't act before about midnight Friday, this the original order could take effect and with a lot more restrictions on the first pill of this two drug medication abortion protocol. Yes, she was talking about mifepristone there because the battle over that abortion drug is going all the way to the top. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced this morning that the Biden administration will ask the US Supreme Court to intervene to protect the availability of the widely used medication. And this announcement comes after the US Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit last night partially stayed at the Texas federal judge's ruling that would have otherwise suspended FDA approval. Here's more. The decision by the New Orleans based Fifth Circuit US Court of Appeals to partially block a Trump appointed judge's ruling leaves considerable uncertainty over access to the drug. Attorney General Merrick Garland said the Justice Department strongly disagrees with the decision to allow the restrictions and will seek immediate Supreme Court review. So while this appellate court decision was somewhat helpful, a little bit better at least than that original Texas federal judge's decision, which we know was not based on science at all and was actually based on some nonsense in a blog post. Well, the Fifth Court of Appeals decision, well, it still threatens widespread availability of mifepristone. And it would require patients to make in-person visits to obtain the medication, as well as other restrictions that the FDA did not approve. And so this is what prompted DOJ to take the case all the way to the Supreme Court. And this is what could happen per Bloomberg law. So any filing would go to Justice Samuel Alito, who is assigned to handle emergency matters from the New Orleans based Fifth Circuit. Alito, who wrote the court's 2022 decision overturning the constitutional right to abortion, probably will refer the matter to the full nine member court as justices typically do in divisive cases. Though he also could act alone on any kind of request for an administrative stay. That's a little scary, the thought that Alito, who is the one that dismantled Roe v. Wade, even though it did get that six to three conservative majority last summer in taking down our abortion laws that were basically in place for what, nearly half a century. Well, this could be scary. Again, Alito could decide on any kind of stay decision that the that DOJ requests, or he could ask the entire court to decide whether they're going to stay the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision. Either way, it's gonna be scary if it goes all the way to the top. And we have these justices again in just another position to decide whether individuals can have full access to the health care that they need in order to determine their own destinies as it concerns abortion, consciously. Continual overreach 
Um, I think that unfortunately women have become, or unfortunately people who are dealing with reproductive justice being, you feel me, caught up. I feel like they're being collateral damage for individuals trying to really spark up their constituents to try to make sure people file out for 2024. So I think that as long as we're able to see um, these type of uh, measures go, we'll see that women will continue, or people, I should keep saying, people, you feel me, that birth, you know what I'm saying, will continue to, I feel like, be the collateral damage. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that, you know, this is something that impacts any kind of birthing person without a doubt, but this is also clearly an attack on women in particular. Like this is why you have legislature going in this direction because they are specifically targeting women since they're the vast majority of birthing people with this thought that if you can't control your destiny and your entire body and how you choose to use it, then we get to dig at your humanity. And it also means that you can't necessarily fully contribute to the workforce and thus there's less competition when it comes to competing against men in terms of opportunity. And it's just, it's really taking us back But of course, when it comes to the rights analysis or their thoughts on the decisions that are coming out and how Mifepristone is being handled, well, of course, they have nothing but nonsense to offer, including this from Tim Scott, who gave us this kind of word salad. Yes, sir. Would you support a federal ban on abortions? I would simply say that um, the fact of the matter is when you look at the issue of abortion, one of the challenges that we have, we continue to go to the most restrictive conversations without broadening the scope and taking a look at the fact that I'm 100% pro-life. I never walk away from that. But the truth of the matter is that when you look at the issues on abortion, I start with the very important conversation I had in a banking hearing. A banking hearing? What? It's like, you know what? These people are really, truly special. I love how they say that they're pro-life, yet they don't give a damn when the lives of children are threatened in schools because they have to have their AKs and also you know, get their NRA money. Let's be real, these leaders aren't here to protect life. And Elizabeth Warren is well aware of that. On Twitter, she said this, last night, Republican judges substituted their anti-choice views for the scientific expertise of the FDA. The Justice Department's immediate appeal of this short-sighted and lawless decision to the Supreme Court is powerfully important. Medication abortion is safe and legal. Yes, and also Ellie Mistel says, basically the Fifth Circuit tried to get people less outraged by a total ban on the abortion pill by converting it to a six week ban on the abortion pill. And it tried to give the Supreme Court a reason to not intervene for a few years. This is all just individuals out here once again trying to control women's bodies and trying to dehumanize us even further. Again, just so that they can maintain the systems of oppression that are already in place. And it's disgusting to see these intellectual somersaults people will get themselves in in order to justify this conscious. I just think of the various nations that our country has invaded based off of the narrative that what America is doing to women right now and what people America is kind of doing and targeting women's or people's reproductive justice is like what we've justified being able to say, hey, we should go spread democracy and make sure the women over in the Middle East are being taken care of and blah, 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 blah. So we see that, you know, with the same constitution, that is able to gather up billions of dollars to go get a military together, go invade a country in the right of for women. It's able to steal in here domestically, able to take almost the opposite of those sentiments and be able to say, hey, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness is first guaranteed to whatever's in the womb and the potential of it before it is the actual person. And then the last thing I think of is just 
separation of church and state. There's no way to appeal to pro-life. There's no way to appeal to this legislation without appealing to, I feel like, old school, traditional ideology in terms of Christianity that makes it where you kind of doing what you say is bad, authoritarianism. Because like we have freedom of religion. How do you push this without folding into religion and acknowledging there are a lot of Jesus, God-fearing individuals that are also pro-choice. So it's just a lot of gymnastics that I think that the, the right does when it comes to being able to caption off, you feel me, how we understand What's the what's it called? Prometha? I feel like I can't, I can't even say it right. That's why I try not to say it, but you know, for, for abortion. Yeah, nope, you're absolutely right. Uh, they will get into these intellectual somersaults, gymnastics, whatever they need to in order to maintain these systems of oppression. When we all damn well know that they are going to be accessing abortions without issue in the event that they want or need one, that this is just a matter of controlling we the people and not those who are in legislature. And speaking of those in the legislature, well, Diane Feinstein, it's been a while because she's been away from a number of things and it is holding things up. Yeah, amid her ongoing health issues, well, Senator Feinstein is facing growing pressure to resign. Even Representative Rokhan is one of those individuals who's urging the senator to go ahead and step down. Check this out. While Senator Feinstein has had an extraordinary distinguished career, she's simply unable now to fulfill her duties. And it's sad to see, uh, it's sad to see her in this state where she is missing votes, where we're not being able to confirm uh, judges because of her absence on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and I just think uh, we should have someone in that role uh, who can do the job right now. Absolutely, we need individuals who are ready and willing to lead the people. And it seems like Diane Feinstein has not been able to do that for some time. You can check out this headline here, noting that the center has been MIA and her absence has been holding up judicial confirmations. That's right, the 89 year old Senator has missed 60 of the 82 votes that's been taken in 2023 at a critical time for Biden to be getting judges confirmed. She needs to resign now. That is very much a sentiment of a number of her colleagues. And another headline here, recognizing this, Feinstein is ready to take a step back, facing pressure to resign. Feinstein asked Senate to replace her on judiciary panel. Yeah, that came through last night. Senator Dianne Feinstein said Wednesday that she has asked Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to move to temporarily replace her on the Chamber's Judiciary Committee, alluding to the impact her absence has had on the panel's ability to advance President Joe Biden's judicial nominees. Yes, and it's something that as we understand Schumer has accepted and is looking for her replacement, which is a good thing. And in the meantime, Senator Feinstein released this statement, which in part read, I understand that my absence could delay the important work of the Judiciary Committee. So I've asked Leader Schumer to ask the Senate to allow another Democratic senator to temporarily serve until I am able to resume my committee work. Interesting that she just wants it to be temporary. But Feinstein has been dealing with what she says are shingles and complications thereof. The thing is Feinstein also said that while she is seeking that temporary replacement, she has no intention of resigning. And it seems that right now she's set to leave office in January of 2025. Again, she's 89 years old. And Representative Dean Phillips in Minnesota, well, he also agreed with Rokan that it's time for Feinstein to go down 
in terms of going away, not necessarily go down, because that would be sad. But this is what he tweeted out. He said, I agree with Rokana. Senator Feinstein is a remarkable American whose contributions to our country are immeasurable. But I believe it's now a dereliction of duty to remain in the Senate and a dereliction of duty for those who agree to remain quiet. Yeah, that's right. And I very much understand and relate to that. But not everybody does. Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi defended Feinstein. She said, it's interesting to me, I don't know what political agendas are at work that are going after Senator Feinstein in this way. I've never seen them go after a man who was sick in the Senate in that way. And that's also a good point because as we saw what just like last year or the year before is when RVG would not leave her post and she ended up dying of cancer at the US Supreme Court and people blamed her a lot. And the thing is, is that she of course did not expect Trump to win. But at the same time, where is that same kind of energy for the men who hold their positions and don't leave? At the same time, I do fully understand that Senator Feinstein is or Feinstein is um, out of commission. And that's the reality of it. And at major law firms, that if you are hitting a certain age, you step back from practice. And it's not just because of malpractice insurance, but also because sharpness is something that's not guaranteed forever. And we recognize that. So it's it's kind of up to we the people, but conscious, what do you think? Um, man, I think that these is one of those complex situations where we can acknowledge that you know um, uh, older women are disproportionately played for being um, incompetent to be able to do their job because they, you feel me, are older in age and not in the ways that older men are. But we still can acknowledge that in this particular instance with uh, with the with the with the was a Feinstein, uh, you know, I'm, I'm say Feinstein. I ain't, gonna, I, ain't gonna, I ain't gonna get too too, too tricky and credit with the name, but we see in this instance. That, that she's being held in some instances to a different standard than what her male colleagues are. But we also understand to me is just like a, a bunch of uh, rich white people um, having conflict amongst each other about what rich white people can do. Because to me, as a Maya, that's I feel like a first generation college student, my man, daddy, that was, you know what I'm saying, they've been locked up. I know homeboys, homegirls, and family members that have been locked up for holding the content of duty for doing far less with less responsibility. You feel what I'm saying? When they talk about the dereliction of duty, we can recognize that there have been individuals that have been criminalized almost to the highest extent of the law, but doing the exact same thing, a dereliction of duty, and they have no jurisdiction that a senator would have. So I think that, you feel me, we can see that multiple things can be true. We can be very critical of how we do male senators compared to, you feel me, uh, 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 female senators or women senators depending on male senators. But I still think in terms of class and in terms of race, there's a lot to unpackage in a way that they're able to go back and forth, especially when you're able to just make a singular analysis that is only based in gender or that's only based in class or that's only based in race. And you're not able to see how all these things come into play and making it where we have, you feel me, the show that we see right now. Yeah, and the thing is, it's like, regardless of whether there is any kind of particular heat or shade just specifically for gender, the reality is she's not there and we're trying to get judges confirmed. You know, it's like we saw the Trump administration just mount up the judiciary for GOP judges. And we've seen the problems that that's caused. Now we have an opportunity to fill a lot of open and vacant positions and to get individuals who are democratic leaning, but also more balanced and less like that Texas federal judge. And she's not present. 
So let's be real here, it doesn't matter as far as gender. We need to get somebody in that spot who is going to be able to move us forward and advance us so that we can hopefully balance out the judiciary. So it's a matter of figure it out, but the reality is the facts say that her absence is a problem. So let's fix that problem. That's oh, yeah. as far it's as I have it. Taxpayers. And it's costing <laughs> taxpayers ultimately. And we recognize that the time it takes for them to go back and forth with this banter is literally having an impact on, I'm gonna say social order or having an impact on the policy making system. Cause it's like, hey, the reason why we need these judges is because they have a direct impact on the lived realities of American citizens. Direct impact, you feel me? And to me, it's like, hey, you hold a high standard that McDonald's employee and how much they able to flip your burger, whether they showing up and not showing up. I feel like you hold them to a high extent than you hold, you know what I'm saying, other folks. And I feel like that's the that's my beef when it comes to these types of, you feel me, uh, I'm gonna say narratives. Mm-hmm. No, I think that that is fair. I also really like uh, that McDonald's and then beef that that was good. I appreciate that. I picked up on that. And I hope you all will pick up on just a little bit more of my boss because we will be back after this break. Welcome back to Unbossed. It is Adrian Lawrence filling in for Nina Turner. And I would definitely love it if you all stepped up and checked out those Webby Award voting. Yeah, that's right. TYT has been nominated for another Webby Award, and this time for that viral video that Anna Kasparian put on the streets about abortion rights. Head to tyt.com slash vote to cast your vote today. It closes on April 20th or 20, y'all, so get it in. Also, of course, with Unbossed, you can't just watch. Yeah, I also want you to check out the podcast. And if you want to watch it again, you always have to check out the video. It's on demand on the YouTube channel. Find full clips by scanning the QR code or going to youtube.com dash unbossedtyt. And also you need to get that membership in, yeah, that's right. It's no longer okay just to be a viewer, you gotta be a member. If you're a fighter, a change maker, a leader, someone who believes wholeheartedly in bringing positive change to the world and every membership is monumental. Sign up today at tyt.com slash join. Now let's see what some of y'all got to say out there. I really appreciate your contributions always. For TYT members at tyt.com, well, Mickey C says Feinstein is showing that status is far more important than the good of the country, absolutely. And the reality is that I forgot to mention before is Feinstein has made so much money being a US Senator. And you know how all both sides of uh, both sides of the aisle love to fill their coffers by way of their access to information. So you would think that woman has her retirement account fully locked and loaded and she knows she could step down and got Gavin Newsom would pick a good replacement for the time being and we could all move forward. But no, she still wants to cash in that check and not give up her power. And so I don't have much respect for that. As far as Twitch goes, Daniela says, love you, Adrian. Love you too, Daniela. Sand Diego J says, Adrian and consciously love y'all, love you too. Ghost Dog TV says Feinstein is from three generations ago. She can't possibly represent us at her age. I don't know what she can do, but right now it seems like she can't show up to work and that's the problem. So, but I will also tell you that there is somebody who is showing up to work who is not the problem. And I appreciate that. There's some individuals out there in Tennessee, because we've seen a little bit of justice for two of the Tennessee three. Yesterday, in particular, Justin Pearson was reappointed to the Tennessee House of Representatives. And Pearson is now rejoining Justin Jones, who was also reappointed earlier this week. Take a look. Tried to kill democracy. They tried to expel the people's choice and the people's vote. And they awaken a sleeping giant. 
Yeah, that's right. Tennessee GOP is guilty of trying to play with the wrong ones. And that is exactly what they did. But thank God these men are back in their places. Let's talk about how they got there. So the vote came less than a week after Mr. Pearson of Memphis and State Representative Justin Jones of Nashville were abruptly expelled from the legislature. Just the third time such a punishment has been used in the state house since the civil rights era or civil war, excuse me. Angered by the disruption of the protest and the disregard for House rules, Republicans quickly moved to expel the pair, though an effort to remove Representative Gloria Johnson, a white lawmaker from Knoxville, failed. And the expulsion of the two chambers youngest black lawmakers, well, it really got people riled up, including Dems across the country. And we got to see that fire on full display. This from the New York Times, officials on the Shelby County Board of Commissioners said that they received thousands of emails and calls from around the country, the country and the world, excuse me, the county, the country and the world pleading with them to reappoint Mr. Pearson. But there's a potential for change always and also some potential for shade. And before we get into that shade, Conscious, how does this feel for you knowing that these two young black men are both back in positions of power in legislature? Uh, it feels amazing, and I think that we all are familiar with that uh, viral uh, 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 TikTok. The more you mess around, the more you find out, but they ain't say mess around. I think that that's slowly but surely what the Republican Party is gonna be kind of finding out is that when they start complaining and crying and whining about how the left, the liberals are indoctrinating kids, and that's the reason why they gotta make it where we can't teach what we wanna teach. It's like, no, 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 no. The kids seen in 4K how y'all treated the three policymakers that decide to stand with them in solidarity. So in 2024, when you see all them 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, and 20-year-olds, they go out there and vote, and they not voting for you. Remember this moment right now. We all seen, everybody seen what happened, and it was obvious. You see what I'm saying? So it can't just be like, hey, man, all these young people that are stuck in times, they don't need to know that in 2024 and 2023, people don't live like that no more. It's like, no, we we all saw what you did and how you did to the Justins, and I'm glad they got justice. Absolutely, yes, and seeing them come back and also seeing that it was unanimous votes that put them back in their place, that is a powerful thing. I know that Nashville and Memphis got it right, and it's the Tennessee GOP that is in the wrong here, and that is extremely problematic trying to use decorum as a way to justify putting these men out of their positions when that, that that's not it, that ain't it. And the reality is that even though uh, what you didn't have any kind of expulsion like this since a civil war era, the reality is we're still up in the civil war area. And that's completely clear in so many ways about the way these individuals use their mics to try to attack and take down progressive lawmakers in positions of power, especially when the individuals are individuals of color. And as I mentioned, with the potential for change, always the potential for shade. And that's exactly what's going on right now with Justin Pearson and a video that's circulating on social media by those who are trying to stop the woke movement, which is always a telltale sign when they use that kind of language. Well, this video is of Pearson when he was in college. And they're trying to suggest that he was a whole different person. In fact, that he was a fraud. Check this out. 
Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. There are a few reasons that we're running this campaign this year. One has to do with representation. How can we represent all voices in a conversation? I want to do this by partnering with organizations from the Boone Democrats to the Boone Republicans. I want to bring together different voices, dissenting voices, voices that may be more liberal or more conservative, in order that we can reach a point of sort of the radical middle. Yeah, so that was that video of Pearson clearly showing an activist spirit from the jump. And of course, you're gonna have members of the right try to undermine that. And Tucker Carlson of Fox News loved to flex his racist agenda in doing so last night. Oh. I wanna bring everyone together, said Justin Pearson in a voice that if you closed your eyes, you could easily imagine coming from a suburban orthodontist. Justin Pearson wasn't white, that's probably how he got into Bowdoin in the first place, but he did a fantastic impression of it. What a nice young man, has he considered the apprenticeship program at Citibank? That was the old Justin Pearson before his transition. Oh, I love it, interweaving those dog whistles with absolutely racist right wing talking points. That's exactly what Tucker Carlson did. And it's funny because it's like they want to avoid the situations that they create as white individuals who are clearly racist because it's clear to me that Justin just was code switching. We black people do it all the time and we do it for our own safety. We do it for the fact that our economic independence often relies on it because we can't necessarily be in predominantly white spaces without sounding or looking like those who are white. And so to try to come at him and suggest he is a whole different person now, it's, it's no, nah, I'm not yeah, a fan, it's conscious. It's, it's disingenuous, it's facetious. He said the quiet part out loud. And we recognize that a lot of Americans go, when they go to college, we go through a very radical phase. Or we go through, some, some people go through big processes of radicalization. What we've seen is that he was trying to play in the middle to be able to try to effectuate change. And some reason he came to the, you know what I'm saying? He came to the conclusion that the way in trying to be in the radical middle, it wasn't what it was and he started going left. So to me, it seemed like it would be more productive if Tucker Carson was able to ask himself, what was it that changed young Justin from saying that to doing this instead of trying to trivialize his blackness or trivialize the way in which that he's speaking? Because to me, that came up as being very pathological, i.e. if you close your eyes, you sound like an orthodontist. It's like, so do you think that the way that Justin sounds right now, he cannot be orthodontist? Because I believe Based off what I've seen from Justin, he'll be able to be whatever the hell he wants to be outside of whatever limitations Tucker Carlson put on him. You know what I'm saying? And then just and then just lastly, just think about it. Do you think the kids seen that? I think they did. If I'm a ninth, tenth grader, if I'm a if I'm if I'm a twelfth grader, I'm gonna become a Bowden, I'm gonna become a, a Bowden eggs very soon. Based off of just what I've seen, I think I might be able to make a decision based off my own, my own, my own desire, regardless of what my parents think. But that's just that's just why I'm in on that one. No, absolutely. Uh, the fact is that Justin Pearson did go through a change, and I'm sure he evolved. He learned more and educated himself, which is the purpose of college. And to see Tucker Carlson uh, use that again to advance racist right wing talking points, to advance these kind of stereotypes about blackness and the thought that he has to speak a certain way or look a certain way, otherwise he's not authentic. And it wasn't lost on me that Carlson also used the word transition, and he put a hard C on that as far as I'm concerned. Again, they're trying to stoke stoke people's fears, advance this kind of right wing agenda and use these triggers to 
continue to advance this us them agenda. And so the fact that Carlson's even spending his time trying to tear down Pearson tells you that Pearson is doing something right. And also we know that there are people who are doing things right. And that would be a lot of teachers out there, particularly teachers in Texas who are fighting because they want more pay. And this awkward scene happened to play out during that fight recently. Watch this. Well, the gentleman yield for some questions. The gentleman yield for questions. Yes, sir. The gentleman yields. Thank you, Mr. Martinez Fisher. Earlier this session, um, there was a press conference that I believe every member of your caucus likely attended, talking about a $15,000 pay raise for teachers. And I noticed that your amendment has a $10,000 pay raise for teachers. Are you saying that teachers aren't worth that extra $5,000 that y'all were in this room just two months ago talking no. about? No, sir. We, we did that on purpose for okay. you. So this is your opportunity to bring an amendment Great. to the amendment. You want to join me? $15,000? let us do it. I'll put my signature down if you put yours yeah. down. Would you do 30000 for teachers? You, yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Would, Would you, you like do 30000 You want You want to be a big boy? Let's do it. Would I'll, you, I'll, 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 I'll delay. Would you do 30000 for teachers? Do you need? How much time do you need? Would you do 30000 for teachers? Hey, are you going to sign it? For 40000 Are you going to sign it? Cheap seats, man. Come on. Let's go. No, we'll just vote it down. Thank you. Have okay. a good day. Thank you for not caring about teachers. He really tried it there. He really tried it. Mm. Well, here is what went down uh, leading up to that. So state Representative James Tallarico, it's a Democrat from Austin, unveiled this legislation on Tuesday alongside at least a dozen other Democratic lawmakers. He said the state should spend part of its record budget surplus on this effort in terms of getting teachers their pay raises. Though it's unclear how Texas Republican leaders will support it. Representative Tallarico's bill would also include a 25% bump for support staff in schools such as nurses, cafeteria workers, counselors, and bus drivers. The average K through 12 support staff salary in Texas is $29,000. That is low, it seems far below a living wage. But these Republicans in Texas, well, they really couldn't back up their words trying to say they are out there supporting teachers. They really ended up biting off more than they can chew. And as a reminder in terms of the teacher pay in Texas, well, with an average salary of $58,000 according to the National Center for Educational Statistics, Texas teacher salaries currently rank in the bottom 10 states across the country. 2019 legislation gave Texas teachers a pay raise. However, a report from the Texas American Federation Teachers Union said salaries have actually decreased by an average of 4% in the past decade when you account for inflation. And so the average salary for Austin area teachers before taxes is around 33,000 to 54,000. And a living wage study, well, it found in Austin that a single adult with no kids would need to make roughly $55,000 after taxes to have a livable wage. That means that the teachers there in Austin are being paid less than a living wage. And lastly, this, so Representative Tallarico said that he believes his bill will attract and retain the best teachers in Texas classrooms. Yet Republican leaders such as Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick are promising property tax relief. That could potentially take more money away from school funding. It's so interesting to me, You know, we just see time and again that our leaders don't care about individuals. Because otherwise they'd wanna help cultivate the mind, they'd want people to grow. And if you have a more knowledgeable constituent base, that also means you have a more informed one. And 
Well, Republican leaders don't like that because they realize they cannot necessarily bait you in with fear and control you with all sorts of nonsense, gaslighting lies and so on. And that's the last thing they want. So while we're out here calling to defund the police, they're out here defunding schools. Conscious? Hey, I think that when Republicans are you know, uh, publicly trying to do their political beefs, it's protect the kids, protect the kids, protect the kids. When it's time to give kids resources to put their money where their mouth is, it's F them kids. And to me, what I feel like specifically in Texas, we see a conservative contradiction. We know that when it comes to a militaristic mindset, whenever you view America as being under attack, you give a lot of funding to the military because you recognize that's gonna be the best way for you to be able to defend America. For some reason, you don't have that same energy when you feel like your American kids are being attacked in the classroom with all these liberal agendas. You see what I'm saying? You don't think it costs money to be able to teach the teachers to not be able to not say gay? You don't think it costs money to be able to teach the teachers to be able to understand the distinction between black history and critical race theory? So think about it. Everything they came out and pushing right now is propaganda that says that there is a war, a cultural war that is going on that's taking place the front lines of the classroom. You don't think you should fund this war that you waging? Kind of conservative contradictions. You see what I'm saying? And it's just like I, I I don't I don't know what to do with 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 that little back and forth we seen. Like yeah. it was it was it was it was like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. You know what I'm saying for the community guidelines. It was a um, intellectual egotistical no a pseudo pseudo intellectual egotistical uh, phallus waving contest. Yep, that's exactly what it was. They were out there posturing to try to look a certain way, fight me, bro. But they really, at the end of the day, weren't necessarily advancing any kind of assistance for children to learn and to become contributing members of society. But then again, the GOP does not want that. They want to maintain a class of individuals who are uneducated and uninformed because they're easier to control. And so when people think about what's going on in their schools, they need to be mindful of the fact that it's not education. Rather, it is, it's structured to control your child to control you ultimately as an adult because you will be uneducated and uninformed and will accept these MAGA right wing kind of talking points. And you will also stay in your place because you will not be able to advance yourself, to make more money, to take an active role in leading society. And that's what the right hopes to continue to perpetuate in the United States. And again, those are just my thoughts, but we will have more thoughts for you. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts during this break. We missed you, but glad you're back. And of course, we would definitely, definitely appreciate if you went to tyt.vote or slash vote and cast your vote today for the Webby Awards. That's right, Anna's passionate call for expansion of abortion rights. Well, that is being nominated for a Webby Award. Voting closes 420, get in there and get on it. Also for Unbossed, of course you wanna hear Nina Turner sound off on everything politics and advance us in every way. So definitely scan that QR code or go to youtube.com slash TYT and watch the videos on demand. As far as membership goes, well, we need your support, that's right. Join our voices, join our leadership, join our team, become a member. Sign up today at tyt.com, join. All right, so the comments out there, love to hear your voices. Well, TYT members at tyt.com. Wolf Dragon says, all Tucker Carlson ever advances is how much of a coward he is with 
absolutely no integrity, absolutely. The only thing he is really is a legend at the bank. Mm. That's how it works. Twitch, young black economist says the 2023 Tennessee anti-black racism playbook is falling apart. That's right, I don't think they realize that there are a number of white people out there in Memphis and Nashville who see the racism, don't like it and are voting accordingly. YouTube, Snapchat, E. Johnson says, what a fiasco to expel these men in the first place. Absolutely, and Tahoe, Nevada says the revolution will not be televised. No, it won't, especially since we all do streaming on our computers anyways. But let's go ahead and get back on that topic of education. And let's head to one of the states that I try not to visit. My family's from there, let's not get into it, it's Missouri. Yeah, the GOP is continuing its culture war and war on education. And it is in the show me state. So this per truth out, Republican lawmakers in the Missouri State House of Representatives followed through on threats they previously made to librarians passing a state budget this week that eliminates all funding to public libraries. About 4.5 million in funds that would have been included in the budget for libraries were instead dropped down to zero. After cuts proposed by Representative Cody Smith, Republican chair of the State House Budget Committee were included. Yeah, that's right, libraries. Again, the goal is to keep people uneducated, to keep them dumb because they're easier to control. And so we know that they are on this march trying to get this agenda moved forward of continuing to control the population. And they're also definitely doing it under the guise of anti-blackness and anti-queer legislation. Check this out, so the stripping of funds for public libraries was done in retaliation over a lawsuit brought forward by the Missouri Library Association, which along with the ACLU is suing the state over a draconian law that bans hundreds of titles in public school district libraries, including books that discuss LBGTQ issues, racial justice and the history of the Holocaust. Any school official, including librarians who fail to comply with the law could be fined up to $2,000 and could be in prison for up to a year. Yes, and so one of those iconic literary voices out there, LeVar Burton, who hosted the popular show Reading Rainbow. Well, he tweeted his disdain for this draconian law out there that Missouri has. Good morning to everyone except Missouri House Republicans. This bullshit has to stop, you damn right it does. This is fascism, if not more. Before we continue on with the conversation, with this move in Missouri to defund libraries, how do you think that this is actually going to work in the long run? Because as far as I'm concerned, even members of the right should generally like libraries. I don't know, Conscious, what do you think? Man, I think that when you have a polarizing climate as we have right now, it is very easy to just politicize anything and make it where you throw the baby out with the bathwater. So because the anti-intellectual phenomenon or the anti-intellectual movement is so moving, I think that it's just easy for Republicans to just jump on board with being like learning is bad, reading is bad, books are bad. Yes. And again, it's like you want to keep these people stupid. And the thing is, is in the long run, this is just going to be extremely detrimental for the United States because it's not going to be able to compete on a global scale. Who is going to have the scientists? Who's going to have the inventors, the people who push forward our entire human race toward making some kind of progressive change and inventing things? Like, come on, this should just be very basic. But of course, We've got to remember that in the United States, our biggest export is how much people are willing to work. 
we push capitalism. So if you can create an entire population of workers and keep that 1% up there, that's where you're able to really churn and burn. We were built on slaves and that attempt to continue to make slavery a part of our everyday lives as Americans is something that the GOP is really trying to accomplish without a doubt. And we also know that the individuals who are out there who are working hard or contributing to society yet can't have a living wage are among those who are predominantly targeted by the GOP. And we see this because now if you receive Medicaid or other vital federal assistance programs, well, Matt Gates definitely thinks that you're lazy and you shouldn't get any kind of assistance whatsoever. I am a big believer in work requirements. Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich in divided government negotiated welfare to work. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say that able-bodied people who are working age, who are not disabled, who are not seniors should have to go to work if they want someone else to pay for their health care or their benefits in other forms right. like food stamps. And if Joe Biden won't do that, then what he's defending are the couch potatoes over hardworking Americans. Yeah, that narrative that those who are on any kind of public assistance are couch potatoes is something that the right has pushed for a very long time and it has racist undertones. So let's be real about that, even though we know that the biggest welfare recipients are these companies. But still, the GOP is really eyeing these new work requirements for millions of individuals on Medicaid or food stamps. In recent weeks, the GOP has focused its attention on two anti-poverty programs. Medicaid, which enrolls the poorest families in health insurance and food stamps, which provide grocery benefits to those in need. Top lawmakers, including House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, have publicly endorsed rules that could force some enrollees to find a job and work longer hours or risk losing the government's help entirely. And how long do they want these people to work for? Well, in February, Gates unveiled the Medicaid Work Requirements Act, which would mandate that adults deemed able-bodied work at least 120 hours a month, volunteer at least 80 hours a month, or take part in a work training program for at least 80 hours a month to remain eligible for Medicaid benefits. The GOP claims that these work requirements would provide incentives while saving Washington money. But we know that that is not true. Research has repeatedly shown that SNAP work requirements, which add significant complexities and administrative burdens to the process of obtaining benefits aren't effective at boosting employment. Instead, it could be absolutely catastrophic. A recent analysis by the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities estimated that legislation introduced by Representative Dusty Johnson would strip supplemental nutrition assistance program SNAP benefits from more than 10 million people, including 4 million children. Yeah. And of course, patriotic millionaires out there called out the nonsense on Twitter, in fact. The legislatures that want new work requirements for food stamps and Medicaid are the same ones working to eliminate the estate tax so that billionaire heirs never have to work a day in their lives. It's not about work, it's about hurting the poor. You're damn right, that's exactly what it's about. It's about taking away what little some people have. And there are individuals out there who are on public assistance who are working multiple jobs, yet they still need the assistance so that they can feed themselves because everything in our society has gone up except for wages. So let's be real here, you want people to work? People are working. It's a matter of the fact that our Congress, our legislature, our leaders are not working for us to ensure that we can be able 
to put food on the table for our family. We can have a living wage without having to be slaves to multiple jobs. But then again, maybe I'm the crazy one here. Conscious, am I wrong? Uh, I agree with you. <laughs> you. I don't know how much that means in terms of like the lobbyists and the bureaucrats and the interest groups that love to line their pockets with different corporations and industries money. You feel me? I don't, I don't know what that means for them. You know what I'm saying? But I think that when it comes to how we are indoctrinated to relate to poor people and how we are, you know what I'm saying, indoctrinated to blame poor people for being poor, I think that we have just uh, ir- I feel like an irrational way of being like people that have little money. We should have a high standard for how they manage their money. And people with a whole bunch of money, we should have a low threshold for how they manage their money. If you poor and you eating too much avocado toast, I'm gonna tell you to stop eating avocado toast. And if you rich and you're, you know what I'm saying, rich, rich exhorts is buying yachts, then I'm gonna be able to spend some tax dollars to bail you out. And it's just like, to me, a, a very class-like imbalance for how we think about money management when it comes to multi-billion dollar corporations in Hundreds, hundred poor poverty people, and that's just like that's 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 my thoughts on that specific. And of course, I keep on going and going and going, but you know, I know time is not on our side right now. No, it seems that time is not necessarily on our side, but there is just enough time to get in this last story, which does kind of go to your point about how certain people enjoy certain access to certain things. And of course, and in this particular case, well, the World Bank was recently busted for giving special treatment to the son of a Trump official. And when I say special treatment, what do I mean? Well, World Bank staff were apparently told to give preferential treatment to the son of a high ranking Trump administration official after the US Treasury threw its support behind a $13 billion funding increase for the organization, a leaked recording suggests. The recording of a 2018 staff meeting suggests colleagues were encouraged by a senior manager to curry favor with the son of David Malpass, who is now president of the World Bank, but at the time was serving in the US Treasury under Trump. Now here's the best part. So during the recording, which was uh, which has left the Washington-based organization facing questions over standards of government governance, staff referred to 22-year-old Robert Malpass as a prince and important little fellow who could go running to daddy if things went wrong. For the recording, we need to manage his education and we need to manage the lemon. So we need to get work out of him, but we also need to make sure that he sees the world. He's probably going to stay a year or two years, then he's going to move to a hedge fund someplace. But in those two years, we need to make him happy and valuable and we need to teach him and so forth after all. All right, so then I can go to his daddy and then I get some bonus points. Well, this is probably not the first time that someone was able to enjoy nepotism in order to have access and benefits. The recording also suggests that it may not have been the first time the International Development Bank had hired a family member of an important global figure. Remember, we had a prince before, that is a subject for happy hour, a staff member is heard saying. Now, of course, the World Bank said that it could not confirm the contents of the recording, but folks are still concerned there. The findings raise concern over internal standards at the World Bank Group, which is governed by high ranking officials from across its 189 member states. And it's holding a spring meeting alongside the International Monetary Fund in Washington this week. And I'm sure they're all going to talk about how people know now that they create positions and opportunities for very wealthy people so that they can curry favor as opposed to hiring the best candidate. Yeah, I guess that's shocking, right? Conscious? Hey. 
All the individuals that got all the, all the beef against affirmative action and got all the beef against individuals they feel like they're getting things they ain't rightfully earned through meritocracy. I think that they should feel me should be able to really point all their energy, all their time and all their efforts on this issue right here because it seemed like if that's 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 something you're concerned with, this should be able to take the most of your concern when it comes to being like, hey, you getting something that you ain't get and you are not the most qualified candidate mm-hmm. for that position. It's mm-hmm. unfair to the person. You know, that's that's same line I thought you was on. Yeah, and it's it's also kind of wild how this prince, uh, how they say he's just gonna go to a hedge fund after that. It just really shows you that there aren't really expectations or standards that are put in place for nepotism, but also a lot of individuals who are privileged that they live in this world where opportunities are simply given to them. And yet they love to push this narrative that affirmative action, that we get opportunities. This is how we got into this college is what Tucker Carlson said of Pearson. All of these stereotypes and narrative that are completely false and are really reflective of the world in which they live. If I recall correctly, Tucker Carlson reached out to Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, asking if he could help Tucker Carlson's son get an opportunity. If he could open a door for Tucker Carlson's son. It's like this is how that upper echelon works, where they're just given opportunities, yet they want to take what little we should have in terms of if we get any kind of Medicaid or access to food stamps or support. And yet they give everything to individuals who aren't completely unworthy. Any last thoughts, Conscious? My, 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 my last thoughts is conservative contradictions, equal access to all people is probably a good idea. Um, we transport a lot of American ideas out to out the, the global the global uh, global community, and I think that when they're able to look back to see where these ideas are coming from, and that we're kind of living very opposite from the ideas that we export throughout this world, I think that it starts to call into question the legitimacy of how we push these ideas, especially when we're able to acknowledge that a lot of foreign governments get behind the American military or American corporate interests. A lot of times at the expense of their own people. And then we see that, you feel me, that the that point falling too far from the tree. Yep, absolutely. And that is all we have for our show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Do you want to quickly tell the people where they can find more about you, Conscious? Uh, hey, yes, yes, yes. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Conscious Lee. I also have a website, theconsciouslee.com. We can find me for all booking information. I do workshops, facilitations, educational consulting. Uh, digital marketing consultant, holla at me. I got it for you. Education is elevation. And thank y'all for how I always have. All right. And thank you so much for joining us. I'm Adrian Lawrence here filling in for Nina Turner. Please check in for Unbossed tomorrow. I won't be here, but I know someone incre- incredible will. In the meantime, you can catch me on Rebel Headquarters on YouTube and Facebook. Enjoy the day. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.